be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. Good evening. Welcome to Send Me to Sleep, the world's sleepiest podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I'm here to help calm your mind and send you into a peaceful night's sleep. Tonight, I'll be reading Chapter One, Going Up to the Elm Uncle, and Chapter Two, With the Grandfather, from Heidi by Joanna Spirey. So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Chapter One Going Up to the Elm Uncle The little old town of Mayenfeld is charmingly situated. From it a footpath leads through green, well-wooded stretches to the foot of the heights which look down imposingly upon the valley. Where the footpath begins to go steeply and abruptly up the Alps, the heath, with its short grass and pungent herbage, at once sends out its soft perfume to meet the wayfarer. One bright sunny morning in June, a tall, vigorous maiden of the mountain region climbed up the narrow path, leading a little girl by the hand. The youngster's cheeks were in such a glow that it showed even through her sun-browned skin. Small wonder, though, for in spite of the heat, the little one, who was scarcely five years old, was bundled up as if she had to brave a bitter frost. Her shape was difficult to distinguish, for she wore two dresses, if not three, and around her shoulders a large cotton shawl. With her feet encased in heavy, hobnailed boots, this hot and shapeless little person toiled up the mountain. The pair had been climbing for about an hour when they reached a hamlet halfway up the great mountain named Alm. This hamlet was called Imdorfili, or the little village. It was the elder girl's hometown, and therefore she was greeted from nearly Every house, people called to her from windows and doors 
and very often from the road. But, answering questions and calls as she went by, the girl did not loiter on her way, and only stood still when she reached the end of the hamlet. There are a few cottages lay scattered about, from the furthest of which a voice called out to her through an open door. Detta, please wait one moment. I am coming with you, if you are going further up. When the girl stood still to wait, the child instantly let go her hand and promptly sat down on the ground. Are you tired, Heidi? Detta asked the child. No, but hot, she replied. We shall be up in an hour. If you take big steps and climb with all your little might. Thus the elder girl tried to encourage her small companion. A stout, pleasant-looking woman stepped out of the house and joined the two. The child had risen and wandered behind the old acquaintances who immediately started gossiping about their friends in the neighbourhood and the people of the hamlet generally. Where are you taking the child, Detta? asked the newcomer. Is she the child your sister left? Yes, Detta assured her. I am taking her up the elm, uncle and there I want her to remain. You can't really mean to take her there, Detta. You must have lost your senses to go to him. I am sure the old man will show you the door and won't even listen to what you say. Why not? As he's her grandfather, it is high time he should do something for the child. I have taken care of her until this summer, and now a good place has been offered to me. The child shall not hinder me from accepting it, I tell you that. It would not be so hard if he were like other mortals. But you know him yourself. How could he look after a child, especially such a little one? She'll never get along with him, I am sure of that. But tell me of your prospects. I am going to a splendid house in Frankfurt. Last summer, some people went off to the baths and I took care of their rooms. As they got to like me, they wanted to take me along, but I could not leave. 
they have come back now and have persuaded me to go with them. I am glad I am not the child, exclaimed Barbara with a shudder. Nobody knows anything about the old man's life up there. He doesn't speak to a living soul, and from one year's end to the other, he keeps away from church. People get out of his way when he appears once in a twelve month down here among us. We all fear him, and he is really just like a heathen or an old Indian, with those thick grey eyebrows and huge uncanny beard. When he wanders along the road with his twisted stick, we are all afraid to meet him alone. That is not my fault, said Detta stubbornly. He won't do her any harm, and if he should, he is responsible, not I. I wish I knew what weighs on the old man's conscience. Why are his eyes so fierce, and why does he live up there all alone? Nobody ever sees him, and we hear many strange things about him. Did your sister tell you anything, Detta? Of course she did, but I shall hold my tongue. He would make me pay for it if I didn't. Barbara had long been anxious to know something about the old uncle and why he lived apart from everybody. Nobody had a good word for him, and when people talked about him, they did not speak openly, but as if they were afraid. She could not even explain to herself why he was called the Alm Uncle. He could not possibly be the uncle of all the people in the village. But since everybody spoke of him so, she did the same. Barbara, who had only lived in the village since her marriage, was glad to get some information from her friend. Detta had been bred there, but since her mother's death had gone away to earn her livelihood. She confidently seized Detta's arm and said, I wish you would tell me the truth about him, Detta. You know it all. People only gossip. Tell me, what has happened to the old man to turn everybody against him so? Did he always hate his fellow creatures? I cannot tell you whether he always did, and that for a very good reason. He being sixty years old, 
and I only twenty-six, you can't expect me to give you an account of his early youth. But if you'll promise to keep it to yourself, and not to set all the people in Prattigan talking, I can tell you a good deal. My mother and he both came from Dommelsech. How can you talk like that, Detta? replied Barbara in an offended tone. People do not gossip much in Prattigan, and I always can keep things to myself if I have to. You won't repent of having told me, I assure you. All right, but keep your word, said Detta warningly. Then she looked around to see that the child was not so close to them as to overhear what might be said. But the little girl was nowhere to be seen. While the two young women had talked at such a rate, they had not noticed her absence. Quite a while must have elapsed since the little girl had given up following her companions. Detta, standing still, looked about her everywhere, but no one was on the path, which, except for a few curves, was visible as far down as the village. There she is, can't you see her there? exclaimed Barbara, pointing to a spot a good distance from the path. She is climbing up with the goat herd, Peter and his goats. I wonder why he is so late today. I must say, it suits us well enough. He can look after the child while you tell me everything without being interrupted. It will be very easy for Peter to watch her, remarked Detta. She is bright for her five years and keeps her eyes wide open. I have often noticed that, and I am glad for her, for it will be useful with the uncle. He has nothing left in the whole wide world but his cottage and two goats. Did he once have more? asked Barbara. I should say so. He was heir to a large farm in Dommelsech, but setting up to play the fine gentleman, he soon lost everything with drink and play. His parents died with grief, and he himself disappeared from these parts. After many years, he came back with a half-grown boy, his son, Tobias, that was his name, became a carpenter and turned out to be a quiet, 
steady fellow. Many strange rumours went round about the uncle, and I think that's why he left Domelsech for Dorfili. We acknowledged relationship, my mother's grandmother being a cousin of his. We called him uncle, and because we are related on my father's side to nearly all people in the hamlet, they too called him uncle. He was named Alm Uncle when he moved up to the Alm. But what happened to Tobias? asked Barbara eagerly. Just wait. How can I tell you everything at once? exclaimed Detta. Tobias was an apprentice in Mel's, and when he was made master, he came home to the village and married my sister, Adelheid. They always had been fond of each other, and they lived very happily as man and wife. But their joy was short. Two years afterwards, when Tobias was helping to build a house, a beam fell on him and killed him. Adelheid was thrown into a violent fever with grief and fright, and never recovered from it. She had never been strong, and had often suffered from strange spells. When we did not know whether she was awake or asleep, only a few weeks after Tobias's death, they buried poor Adelheid. People said that heaven had punished the uncle for his misdeeds. After the death of his son, he never spoke to a living soul. Suddenly, he moved up to the Alp to live there at enmity with God and man. My mother and I took Adelheid's little year-old baby, Heidi, to live with us. When I went to Ragatz, I took her with me, but in the spring the family whose work I had done last year came from Frankfurt and resolved to take me to their town house. I am very glad to get such a good position. And now you want to hand over the child to this terrible old man. I really wonder how you can do it, Detta, said Barbara, with reproach in her voice. It seems to me I have really done enough for the child. I do not know where else to take her, as she is too young to come with me to Frankfurt. By the way, Barbara, where are you going? We are halfway up the elm already. 
Detta shook hands with her companion and stood still while Barbara approached the tiny, dark brown mountain hut, which lay in a hollow a few steps away from the mountain path. Situated halfway up the elm, the cottage was luckily protected from the mighty winds. Had it been exposed to the tempests, it would have been a doubtful habitation in the state of decay it was in. Even as it was, the doors and windows rattled, and the old rafters shook when the south winds swept the mountainside. If the hut had stood on the elm top, the wind would have blown it down the valley without much ado when the storm season came. Here lived Peter Goatherd, a boy eleven years old, who daily fetched the goats from the village and drove them up the mountain to the short and luscious grasses of the pasture. Peter raced down in the evening with the light-footed little goats. When he whistled sharply through his fingers, every owner would come and get his or her goat. These owners were mostly small boys and girls, and, as the goats were friendly, they did not fear them. That was the only time Peter spent with other children. The rest of the day, the animals were his sole companions. At home lived his mother and an old blind grandmother, but he only spent enough time in the hut to swallow his bread and milk for breakfast and the same repast for supper. After that, he sought his bed to sleep. He always left early in the morning, and at night he came home late, so that he could be with his friends as long as possible. His father had met with an accident some years ago. He also had been called Peter the Goat Herd. His mother, whose name was Brigida, was called Goat Herd Peter's wife, and his blind grandmother was called by young and old from many miles about just Grandmother. Ditter waited about Ten minutes to see if the children were coming up behind with the goats. As she could not find them anywhere, she climbed up a little higher to get a better view down the valley from there, and peered from side to side with marks of great impatience on her countenance. The children in the meantime 
were ascending slowly in a zigzag way. Peter always knowing where to find all sorts of good grazing places for his goats where they could nibble. Thus they strayed from side to side. The poor little girl had followed the boy only with the greatest effort, and she was panting in her heavy clothes. She was so hot and uncomfortable that she only climbed by exerting all her strength. She did not say anything, but looked enviously at Peter, who jumped about so easily in his light trousers and bare feet. She envied even more the goats that climbed over bushes, stones and steep inclines with their slender legs. Suddenly sitting down on the ground, the child swiftly took off her shoes and stockings. Getting up, she undid the heavy shawl and the two little dresses. Out she slipped without more ado and stood up in only a light petticoat. In sheer delight at the relief, she threw up her dimpled arms that were bare up to her short sleeves. To save the trouble of carrying them, her aunt had dressed her in her Sunday clothes over her workday garments. Heidi arranged her dresses neatly in a heap and joined Peter and the goats. She was now as light-footed as any of them. When Peter, who had not paid much attention, Saw her suddenly in her light attire, he grinned. Looking back, he saw the little heap of dresses on the ground, and grinned yet more, till his mouth seemed to reach from ear to ear, but he never said a word. The child, feeling free and comfortable, started to converse with Peter, and he had to answer many questions. She asked him how many goats he had, and where he had led them, what he did with them when he got there, and so forth. At last the children reached the summit in front of the hut, When Detta saw the little party of climbers, she cried out shrilly, Heidi, what have you done? What a sight you are. Where are your dresses and your shawl? Are the new shoes gone that I just bought for you, and the new stockings that I made myself? Where are they all, Heidi? The child quietly pointed down and said, There. The aunt followed the direction of her finger and decried a little heap with a small red 
dot in the middle, which she recognized as the shawl. Unlucky child, Detta said excitedly. What does all this mean? Why have you taken your things all off? Because I do not need them, said the child, not seeming in the least repentant of her deed. How can you be so stupid, Heidi? Have you lost your senses? The aunt went on, in a tone of mingled vexation and reproach. Who do you think will go way down there to fetch those things up again? It is half an hour's walk. Please, Peter, run down and get them. Do not stand and stare at me as if you were glued to the spot. I am late already, replied Peter, and stood without moving from the place where, with his hands in his trouser pockets, he had witnessed the violent outbreak of Heidi's aunt. There you are, standing and staring, but that won't get you further, said Detta. I'll give you this if you go down. With that she held a five-penny piece under his eyes. That made Peter start, and in a great hurry he ran down the straightest path. He arrived again in so short a time that Detta had to praise him and gave him her little coin without delay. He did not often get such a treasure, and therefore his face was beaming and he laughingly dropped the money deep into his pocket. If you are going up to the uncle as we are, you can carry the pack till we get there, said Detta. They still had to climb a steep ascent that lay behind Peter's hut. The boy readily took the things and followed Detta, his left arm holding the bundle and his right swinging the stick. Heidi jumped along gaily by his side with the goats. After three quarters of an hour, they reached the height where the hut of the old man stood on a prominent rock, exposed to every wind, but bathed in the full sunlight. From there you could gaze far down into the valley. Behind the hut stood three old fir trees with great shaggy branches. Further back, the old grey rocks rose high and sheer. Above them you could see green and fertile pastures, till at last the stony boulders reached the bare, steep cliffs. Overlooking the valley, the uncle had made himself a bench by the side of the hut. 
Here he sat with his pipe between his teeth and both hands resting on his knees. He quietly watched the children climbing up with the goats and Aunt Detta behind them, for the children had caught up to her long ago. Heidi reached the top first and approached the old man. She held out her hand to him and said, Good evening, Grandfather. Well, well, what does that mean? replied the old man in a rough voice, giving her his hand for only a moment. He watched her with a long and penetrating look from under his bushy brows. Heidi gazed back at him with an unwinking glance and examined him with much curiosity, for he was strange to look at with his thick grey beard and shaggy eyebrows that met in the middle of a thicket. Heidi's aunt had arrived in the meantime with Peter who was eager to see what was going to happen. Good day to you, uncle, said Detta as she approached. This is Tobias's and Adelheid's child. You won't be able to remember her, because last time you saw her, she was scarcely a year old. Why do you bring her here? asked the uncle, and turning to Peter, he said, Get away and bring my goats. How late you are already. Peter obeyed and disappeared on the spot. The uncle had looked at him in such a manner that he was glad to go. Uncle, I have brought the little girl for you to keep, said Detta. I have done my share these last four years, and now it is your turn to provide for her. The old man's eyes flamed with anger. Indeed, he said, what on earth shall I do? when she begins to whine and cry for you. Small children always do, and then I'll be helpless. You'll have to look out for that, Detta retorted. When the little baby was left in my hands a few years ago, I had to find out how to care for the little innocent myself, and nobody told me anything. I already had mother on my hands, and there was plenty for me to do. You can't blame me if I want to earn some money now. If you can't keep the child, you can do whatever you want with her. If she comes to harm, you are responsible, and I am sure you do not want the burden of that on your conscience. 
Detta had said more in her excitement than she had intended. Just because her conscience was not quite clear. The uncle had risen during her last words, and now he gave her such a look that she retreated a few steps. Stretching out his arms in a commanding gesture, he said to her, Away with you, be gone. Stay wherever you came from and don't venture soon again into my sight. Detta did not have to be told twice. She said goodbye to Heidi and farewell to the uncle and started down the mountain. Like steam, her excitement seemed to drive her forward and she ran down at a tremendous rate. The people in the village called to her now more than they had on her way up, because they were all wondering where she had left the child. They were well acquainted with both and knew their history. When she heard from door and windows, Where is the child? Where have you left her, Detta? And so forth. She answered more and more reluctantly. Up with the Alm, uncle. With the Alm, uncle. She became more and more provoked because the women called to her from every side. How could you do it? The poor little creature. The idea of leaving such a helpless child up there. And over and over again. The poor little dear. Detta ran as quickly as she could and was glad when she heard no more calls. Because, to tell the truth, she herself was uneasy. Her mother had asked her on her deathbed to care for Heidi, but she consoled herself with the thought that she would be able to do more for the child if she earned some money. She was very glad to go away from people who interfered with her affairs, and she looked forward with great delight in her new place. Chapter 2 With the Grandfather After Detta had disappeared, the uncle sat down again on the bench, blowing big clouds of smoke out of his pipe. He did not speak, but kept his eyes fastened on the ground. In the meantime, Heidi looked about her and discovered the goat shed, peeped in. Nothing could be seen inside. Searching for some more interesting thing, she saw the three old fir trees behind the hut. 
Here the wind was roaring through the branches, and the treetops were swaying to and fro. Heidi stood and listened. After the wind had ceased somewhat, she walked round the hut back to her grandfather. She found him exactly in the same position, and planted herself in front of the old man, with arms folded behind her back. She gazed at him. The grandfather, looking up, saw the child standing motionless before him. What do you want to do now? he asked her. I want to see what's in the hut, replied Heidi. Come then. And with that the grandfather got up and entered the cottage. Take your things along, he commanded. I do not want them any more, answered Heidi. The old man turned about, threw a penetrating glance at her. The child's black eyes were sparkling in expectation of all things to come. She is not lacking in intelligence, he muttered to himself, aloud, he added. Why don't you need them any more? I want to go about like the light-footed goats. All right, you can, but fetch the things and we'll put them in the cupboard. The child obeyed the command. The old man now opened the door, and Heidi followed him into a fairly spacious room which took in the entire expanse of the hut. In one corner stood a table and a chair, and in another the grandfather's bed. Across the room a large kettle was suspended over the hearth, and opposite to it a large door was sunk into the wall. This the grandfather opened. It was the cupboard in which all his clothes were kept. In one shelf were a few shirts, socks and towels. On another a few plates, cups and glasses. And on the top shelf Heidi could see a round loaf of bread, some bacon and cheese. In this cupboard the grandfather kept everything that he needed for his subsistence. When he opened it, Heidi pushed her things as far behind the grandfather's clothes as she could reach. She did not want them found again in a hurry. After looking around attentively in the room, she asked, Where am I going to sleep, Grandfather? Wherever you want to, he replied. That suited Heidi exactly. She peeped into all the corners of the room and looked at every little nook to find a cosy place to sleep. 
Beside the old man's bed she saw a ladder. Climbing up, she arrived at a hayloft, which was filled with fresh and fragrant hay. Through a tiny window she could look far down into the valley. I want to sleep up here, Heidi called down. Oh, it's lovely here. Please come up, Grandfather, and see for yourself. I know it, sounded from below. I am making the bed now, the little girl called out again, while she ran busily to and fro. Oh, do come up and bring a sheet, Grandfather, for every bed must have a sheet. Is that so? said the old man. After a while he opened the cupboard and rummaged around in it. At last he pulled out a long, coarse cloth from under the shirts. It somewhat resembled a sheet, and with this he climbed up to the loft. Here a neat little bed was already prepared. On top the hay was heaped up high so that the head of the occupant would lie exactly opposite the window. The grandfather was well pleased with the arrangement. To prevent the hard floor from being felt, he made the couch twice as thick. Then he and Heidi together put the heavy sheet on, tucking in the ends well. Heidi looked thoughtfully at her fresh, new bed, and said, Grandfather, we have forgotten something. What? he asked. I have no cover. When I go to bed, I always creep in between the sheet and the cover. What shall we do if I haven't any? asked the grandfather. Never mind, I'll just take some more hay to cover me, Heidi reassured him, and was just going to heap of the hay when the old man stopped her. Just wait one minute, he said, and went down to his own bed. From it he took a large, heavy linen bag and brought it to the child. Isn't this better than hay, he said. Heidi pulled the sack to and fro with all her might, but she could not unfold it, for it was too heavy for her little arms. The grandfather put the thick cover on the bed while Heidi watched him. After it was all done, she said, What a nice bed I now have, and what a splendid cover. I only wish the evening were here, that I might go to sleep in it. I think we might eat something first, said the grandfather. Don't you think so? 
Heidi had forgotten everything else in her interest for the bed. But when she was reminded of her dinner, she noticed how terribly hungry she was. She had only a piece of bread and a cup of thin coffee very early in the morning, before her long journey. Heidi said approvingly, I think we might, Grandfather. Let's go down then, if we agree, said the old man, and followed close behind her. Going up to the fireplace, he pushed the kettle aside and reached for a smaller one that was suspended on a chain. Then sitting down on a three-legged stool, he kindled a bright fire. When the kettle was boiling, the old man put a large piece of cheese on a long iron fork and held it over the fire, turning it to and fro till it was golden brown on all sides. Heidi had watched him eagerly. Suddenly she ran to the cupboard. When her grandfather brought a pot and the toasted cheese to the table, he found it already nicely set, with two plates and two knives and the bread in the middle. Heidi had seen the things in the cupboard and knew that they would be needed for the meal. I am glad to see that you can think for yourself, said the grandfather, while he put the cheese on top of the bread. But something is missing yet. Heidi saw the steaming pot and ran back to the cupboard in all haste. A single bowl was on the shelf. That did not perplex Heidi though, for she saw two glasses standing behind them. With those three things she returned to the table. You certainly can help yourself. Where shall you sit though? asked the grandfather who occupied the only chair himself. Heidi flew to the hearth, and bringing back the little stool, sat down on it. Now you have a seat, but it is much too low. In fact, you are too little to reach the table from the chair. Now you shall have something to eat at last. And with that, the grandfather filled the bowl with milk. Putting it on his chair, he pushed it as near to the stool as was possible. And in that way, Heidi had a table before her. He commanded her to eat the large piece of bread and the slice of golden cheese. He sat down himself on the corner of the table and started his own dinner. Heidi drank without stopping, for she felt exceedingly thirsty after her long journey. Taking a long breath, she put down her little bowl. 
How do you like the milk? The grandfather asked her. I never tasted better, answered Heidi. Then you shall have more. And with that, the grandfather filled the little bowl again. The little girl ate and drank with the greatest enjoyment. After she was through, both went out into the goat shed. Here the old man busied himself, and Heidi watched him attentively, while he was sweeping and putting down fresh straw for the goats to sleep on. Then he went to the little shop alongside and fashioned a high chair for Heidi, to the little girl's greatest amazement. What is this? asked the grandfather. This is a chair for me. I am sure of it because it is so high. How quickly it was made, said the child, full of admiration and wonder. She knows what it was and has her eyes on the right place, the grandfather said to himself, while he walked around the hut, fastening a nail or a loose board here and there. He wandered about with his hammer and nails, repairing whatever was in need of fixing. Heidi followed him at every step, and watched the performance with great enjoyment and attention. At last the evening came. The old fir trees were rustling, and a mighty wind was roaring and howling through the treetops. Those sounds thrilled Heidi's heart, and filled it with happiness and joy. She danced and jumped about, under the trees, for those sounds made her feel as if a wonderful thing had happened to her. The grandfather stood under the door, watching her, when suddenly a shrill whistle was heard. Heidi soon stood still, and the grandfather joined her outside. Down from the heights came one goat after another, with Peter in their midst. Uttering a cry of joy, Heidi ran into the middle of the flock, greeting her old friends. When they had all reached the hut, they stopped on their way, and two beautiful slender goats came out of the herd. One of them was white, and the other brown. They came up to the grandfather, who held out some salt in his hand to them, as he did every night. Heidi tenderly caressed first one, then the other, seeming beside herself with joy. Are they ours, grandfather? Do they belong to us? Are they going to the stable? Are they going to stay with us? Heidi kept on asking in her excitement. 
the grandfather hardly could put in a yes, yes, surely, between her numerous questions. When the goats had licked up all the salt, the old man said, Go in, Heidi, and fetch your bowl and the bread. Heidi obeyed and returned instantly. The grandfather milked a full bowl from the white goat, cut a piece of bread for the child, and told her to eat. Afterwards you can go to bed, and if you need some shirts and other linen, you will find them in the bottom of the cupboard. Aunt Detta has left a bundle for you. Now good night. I have to look after the goats and lock them up for the night. Good night, Grandfather. Oh, please tell me what their names are, called Heidi after him. The white one's name is Schwanali, and the brown one I call Bali, was his answer. Good night, Schwanali. Good night. Bali, the little girl called loudly, for they were just disappearing in the shed. Heidi now sat down on the bench and took her supper. The strong wind nearly blew her from her seat, so she hurried with her meal, to be able to go inside and up to her bed. She slept in it, as well as a prince on his royal couch. Very soon after Heidi had gone up, before it was quite dark, the old man also sought his bed. He was always up in the morning with the sun, which rose early over the mountainside in those summer days. It was a wild, stormy night. The hut was shaking in the gusts, and all the boards were creaking. The wind howled through the chimney, and the old fir trees shook so strongly that many a dry branch came crashing down. In the middle of the night, the grandfather got up, saying to himself, I am sure she is afraid. Climbing up the ladder, he went up to Heidi's bed. The first moment, everything lay in darkness, when all of a sudden, the moon came out behind the clouds and set his brilliant light across Heidi's bed. Her cheeks were burning red, and she lay peacefully on her round and chubby arms. She must have been having a happy dream, for she was smiling in her sleep. The grandfather stood and watched her till a cloud flew over the moon and left everything in total darkness. Then he went down to seek his bed again. <laughs>